It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. He didn't rob a liquor store. He shot four people in the middle of the street, and one of them was the president. So, And it was an intentional, targeted act that was pre-planned and premeditated. And, you know, none of it was an accident. Earlier this week, I spoke with retired United States Secret Service Supervisory Special Agent Jeff James, who served 22 years protecting our presidents from Clinton through Trump, and also served as John Hinckley Jr.'s case manager. John Hinckley was a man plagued with delusions that separated him from reality. After developing an obsession with actress Jodie Foster, he came up with a plan to shoot and kill President Ronald Reagan as a way to impress her. Jeff James takes a look back at the events that unfolded on the day of the attempted assassination and shares how the Secret Service changed their operations following the incident. Be sure to go back and listen to Tuesday's episode to hear more about Jeff James' unique work on the case. This story and the details will shock you. To hear more about his amazing work with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, check out our episode about the challenges of solving missing persons cases. Up next, Gianna Gelosi is bringing you the latest true crime stories straight out of the headlines. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. For the first time in over a century, Austin, Texas may now have a new serial killer. On May 24th, 62-year-old Raul Meza Jr. called police and confessed to murdering Jesse Fraga, his 80-year-old roommate, just four days prior. On that same call, Meza also implicated himself in the 2019 murder of 66-year-old Gloria Lofton, taking place only three years after Meza was released from Travis County Jail. Now, this isn't the first time Meza is facing murder charges. In 1982, he was convicted for the murder of eight-year-old Kendra Page, serving 11 years of his 30-year sentence. Police believe that upon his arrest, Meza was prepared to kill again. When apprehended by U.S. Marshals, Meza was found with a bag containing duct tape, zip ties, ammunition, and a pistol. Austin police are now looking at eight to ten other cold cases for which he may have been responsible. Here to break down the case are two of my colleagues with KTBC Fox 7 in Austin, reporter Angela Shen and anchor John Krinjak. Angela and John, thank you so much for joining me. Um, Back on May 24th, police in Austin get a call from 62-year-old guy named Raul Meza Jr., who says he killed his 80-year-old roommate, Jesse, and then he implicated himself in the 2019 killing of 66-year-old Gloria Lofton. And now he's being investigated for 10 other killings. So do we know why he called police on himself? We we really don't at this point. Um... You know, we we we, he made that call on May 24th um, and five days later, the Lone Star Fugitive Task Force was actually able to track him down. But in that intervening time, yeah, you had this phone call where he he confessed um, to these two murders. Um, He apparently confessed 
to a couple of murders in, in San Antonio and apparently gave police reason to believe that he had committed other murders. They're looking into these cold cases. But the bizarre thing is that he hung up the phone after confessing to this, like he was bragging, um, you know, to police thinking, maybe thinking they wouldn't catch him. And then that spurred this search and police noted that when they actually tracked him down, he genuinely seemed surprised that they had found him. I mean, he seems to have fair reason. He's been in and out of jail or prison for a while and he's gotten away with this so far. But so he calls them, confesses, and then seems like he's playing like a cat and mouse game for that five day manhunt. What happened during those five days? So uh, police mentioned that they they got tips that he was um, in and out of of motels uh, along. We have I-35 here in Austin, which is kind of the, the, the major interstate highway through town. And he was apparently popping up in in, uh, you know, kind of rundown motels all along I-35 and and uh, people at the hotels were, were giving tips to police and police apparently were just kind of going door to door uh, looking for this guy. And ultimately, uh, they tracked him down uh, near a uh, like a bus stop uh, that was kind of just uh, just west of where these hotels are uh, in this part of Austin called North Austin. And when they found him, apparently he was he was hanging around. Apparently, I guess there were there were a few homeless people around him but when they tracked him down they apparently arrested him without incident but what was really kind of chilling is that on him uh they found a bag and they found in that bag uh, a firearm uh another kind of uh what you want to call it a magazine i guess of, of ammunition they found zip ties i think they found duct tape so he admitted as much that he was planning to kill again but you know, obviously discovering these items in the bag, uh, it, it seemed as though he may have been planning something else if he hadn't been caught. And were people in Texas freaking out during this five days? I don't think people were aware yet. I mean, we heard about Fraga's murder and that there was a suspect on the loose. I think there was some chatter online that the suspect was also responsible for the 1982 murder of Kendra Page. But that was before police had done their whole press conference describing him as a serial killer. So I don't think people knew the gravity of it yet at that point. And, and in fact, there, there's been a little there's, there's been some questions on behalf of the media uh, asking police, you know, why didn't you kind of put this out front a little more once once you made that connection and once you knew, OK, it's this guy who is a convicted murderer before, you know, we honestly did not see that level of of you know putting it out there uh, in the public sphere by police that you might have expected again until after that arrest was made yeah and i used to report uh in the bronx in new york and you know you as a reporter you're kind of beholden to whatever the police tell you if it's a police sheet mm -hmm. or whatever you know what i mean so if they're not putting it out how are you supposed to know unless someone comes up to you and tells you like hey they're looking for my neighbor or something like that you know yeah yeah no absolutely and you know it was something that certainly certainly spooked uh, neighbors uh, up in, in Pflugerville, which is the town uh, north of Austin, where where the murder of that 80 year old man, uh, Jesse Fraga, was, um, you know, neighbors were kind of wondering what what was going on and, and slowly kind of uh, figured out what happened. And obviously, when you when you hear the details of, of what did happen, it's, it's pretty chilling.
And I was mentioning before how, you know, you were saying he was so confident that he could call them, confess, and then still get away with it. Now, this is because this wasn't some guy that was unknown to law enforcement, because in 1982, he was charged with rape and murder of an eight-year-old girl, served 11 years of a 30-year sentence, according to Austin police, and then was in and out of jail after that. Now, Angela, I know you spoke with some of the victims' families, and I'm sure this part of the story really has to anger them. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to the sister of Kendra Page, and she was obviously upset that he got out after 11 years. I mean, it's something that's been in the back of her mind. I mean, even as she's raised her own kids and her grandkids, it's, you know, this maze of person is always in the back of her mind. She said it's been, you know, really terrifying, just always having that bloom over. And then after she heard about more recent murders, obviously, I mean, she was just infuriated that he, he did it again and that more families are having to go through this. And we also heard from the detective at the time of Kendra Page's murder. He was actually at that press conference on May 29th. He's no longer with Austin Police, but he's now an interim city manager. And so he was able to speak to what it was like back then and kind of tying all that, you know, to this arrest now. And, and I got to tell you, there was there was audible, palpable anger and, and frustration in his voice that it, what he he literally called it a, a travesty of justice because you know, the detectives back then felt like they had a pretty solid case. Um, and the and the DA at that time let him plead out to murder as opposed to capital murder, because, you know, after all, he he confessed to raping, murdering and, and leaving this eight year old girl literally in a dumpster uh, in South Austin. And because of this plea deal, he was able to get a 30 year sentence instead of potentially life. And he was able to parole out after 11 years uh, in 1993. And and I think that's that's what's so shocking to people. And that's what really it sends a chill down your spine when you think that would have prevented him potentially from committing all these other crimes. Um, and, and that that detective, you know, 40 years later, standing there throwing his hands up, saying, you know, I, I wish I wish justice had been done the first time. They mentioned now they're investigating him with 10 other killings, right? Is there any specific cases that they've told you that he might be connected to? Uh, not at this point. No. Yeah, they said they're looking into a lot more, but they have not named any specific cases at this point. Yeah, right now they're saying, uh, and this, bear in mind, this is just Austin police. They're saying between eight and 10 cold cases. They're just they're look they're looking at evidence again. They're looking at MOs, trying to you know link up what they can across these cases, but they're totally leaving open the possibility that that it could be more than that. Is there the possibility that it might also be outside of Texas? I know it's outside of Austin as well. Do you know if they're looking um, at him for anything else? I think wasn't there a double homicide in San Antonio? Yeah, thinking there was a double homicide in San Antonio, and there you know the federal authorities are are involved in this. We heard from. Uh, from uh, U.S. the U.S. Marshal's office, and you know, federal authorities are involved in this. So I, I have a feeling that they are looking beyond the state of Texas. Yeah, it is kind of wild to think because you think of like serial killers. It seems like such a '70s and '80s kind of thing, but this was you know a couple years ago. He killed the 66-year-old, or admitted to killing the 66-year-old, and then um, his roommate uh, further down the line. Um, what do we know what charges he's facing this time around that hopefully he doesn't get out in 11 years if he is convicted? Yeah, he's facing uh, so far two counts of capital murder. He's he's charged 
in the in the murder of Jesse Fraga, and he is charged in the murder of Gloria Lofton. But um, yeah, to be clear, those are the only two where he's actually facing charges at this point. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the, those probably would keep him uh, keep him locked up for for the rest of his life for sure. Yeah, and uh, what's the response from the community now that he's been arrested on these news newest charges? I mean, I think a lot of it is wondering, you know, how how could he have been out to do it again? I mean, we hear it from the families, you know, why wasn't justice served the first time? They're saying the justice system failed them. You know, mm-hmm. other families are having to go through this heartbreak now. So I think, you know, there are definitely a lot of questions about what law enforcement have done differently. Um, so, you know, there's anger, there's sadness um, and also some confusion, too, about what could have been done differently. Yeah, I think from these family members, you get kind of a quick sense of relief because obviously, you know, until a couple of weeks ago, this guy was out there. Right. Um, And they're relieved that he's not. They're relieved that he's been arrested They're, You know, especially when it looked like he had every intention of killing again. But I think that relief really quickly turns to anger and frustration and just that sense of like regret, like people died that didn't have to die. And I think that's for for a family member who's lost someone and knows exactly what that feels like. That's a that's a that's a tough pill to swallow. For sure. And um, is there anything on the schedule now as to his next court appearances or what happens next? We we've been checking. We don't we don't have a, a court date for him as far as far as we've seen. He uh, he continues to be held uh, at the at the Travis County Jail. But I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot going on behind the scenes right now. Yeah, I just checked the portal. I did not see his name even come up. <laughs> which is which is kind of strange. Yeah. We often, yeah. you know, at least would see a first appearance or something like that. Um, but I, I have a feeling there's a lot of a lot of coordination and a lot of a lot of things going on behind the scenes across these different agencies because there's there's just so much here. Yeah, and I'm sure they don't want to um, botch it another time. Um, yes. is, is there any other parts of the story that you'd like to tell our listeners that we may not have covered? Um, I mean, I think I, I think it's just you mentioned this, you know, kind of I, 70s idea of of a serial killer. And it's I think it is bizarre when when you hear that because you don't you know, you, you we've heard about a few kind of stories like that. But, you know, it's not it's not Charles Manson. It's not something like that. But this you know, the notion that this could be on that level um, and, you know, that we have all these unsolved murders that all of a sudden could be tied back to this guy. Um, I think it's really it's really kind of a, a bizarre story. And, and especially the the notion of this miscarriage of justice. Um, I think it, it really cuts deep for a lot of people. Right. Because if he didn't even call this time, he'd still be out doing whatever he had in mind to do next. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, that kind of cocky attitude uh, may have been his downfall, but you're right. It is it is scary, um, especially given that, you know, police, you know, there's a there's a whole investigation into how Gloria Lofton's murder was investigated because um, and I, th- I think that is possibly, one, you know, one of the, one of the parts of this story uh, that's really going to come out in the wash in the next you know days and, and weeks and months. Um, is the fact that a year after Gloria Lofton's murder, again, in Austin, um, the police were able to identify DNA that was taken from the scene as that of Raul Meza's. Um, 
took a year to do that. I'm not sure exactly why, but um, police, you know, even when they made that connection, um, they claimed that, you know, within their investigation, that wasn't enough to take him in at that time or, or put out a warrant for him. And so there's actually an internal administrative investigation within Austin police looking into what happened there. Um, and, and they're kind of, it sounds like they're admitting that that we, we messed up here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Angela Shen and John Krinjak, thank you so much for taking the time to speak about this case. And we'll follow up with you if we do get any more developments. Thanks for having us. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.